T-minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Uh, That's all I really have for questions, but um, Desta, have you got any questions you want to ask? I just wanted to hear how you guys uh, break up them. I know you said that there's a North America and a South America and there's the Peru one. So I've seen a lot of the stuff that you guys did with Costa and with Ricardo and different snips of things you did, but how do you end up, and I'm sorry, I missed a couple minutes of it earlier, but how do you break up everything um, that's gonna be released like publicly to Tubi or or to the Sci-Fi channel? It's really country to country, Desta, like it is. It's kind of like every country, we have a 50% agenda of who we want to be with, experts, experiencers, and 50% is wide open, whatever we experience, we experience, but it's basically country to country. Good. So where else, now that the pandemic is coming to a kind of close, um, where else do you guys have like long-term um, places that you want to go like next year or once things open up a little bit more at the end of this year after Algonquin? Yeah, there's there's really a couple aspects to it, Desta. One is, you know, Mark is in touch with a lot of people around the world. And so we do get together with uh, experiencers where they're having, you know, both the location where things are happening and where there's experiences there that are having things happen with them. And we try to assess it. And if we feel the chances are good that we're going to have things happen while we're out there. We'll put an expedition together and organize that for months ahead of time. Okay, that's Algonquin, for example. The second part of this is we want to be able to be ready to go on a moment's notice. In other words, if all of a sudden, whether it's you guys letting us know that there's a flap happening, we call it a flappening. Say that all of a sudden, say all of a sudden in Manitoba, you had a new Charlie Red Star. And Grant calls us up and says, Rob and Mark, you guys have got to come out here. For the last two nights now, we've had this phenomenon happening. We can be there the next day. Okay, if we can prove that this is legitimate, because we have had experiences where people thought stuff was happening and it's just planes. And we spent a lot of money and time and went places. Now, we did have experiences happened despite all of that. Uh, We had orbs going by in the backyard, like ones that you could actually see with your eyes. But if we have where we're hearing that there's an honest to goodness flap that has just started up, then we can bring all the WMD equipment. We can be there the next day. Mark and I will talk, have a discussion if it's legitimate, if we have, you know, more than one person that's seeing it and experiencing it, 
is people can make up stuff as we know as well. But if we can, if we feel strongly that it's legit and it's at least two people that are collaborating this or backing it up, then Mark will get busy and organize flights and uh, I can do the rental car. Uh, we can, I'll get the equipment together. It's actually ready to go. And we'll be out the door with our suitcase. Heck, we could even leave that very same day. And hopefully we'll be right in the middle of the action. So if you guys ever hear of anything that's starting up where it looks like there's a trend happening, boom, we can be out there very, very fast. So you, let me ask you a question. You've spent a lot of money. You've traveled around the world. You've chased this thing. Um, you had a sighting as a young boy, which is pretty dramatic. Um, okay, I, the question I asked the second night I saw it, what the hell's going on? Let me ask you a question. What's really going on here? Well, you know, I guess we're just starting into Jacques Vallée's books oh, and no. really liking the stuff that he's saying. It seems that this phenomenon really is different than, you know, what we know to be true and what we see in a physical sense here. Like for a lot of people, it's all about physical craft. And as soon as you get into anything else about it, the average person is kind of out of here. They don't want to hear any more about it. But the truth is, Grant, I believe personally that it is interdimensional. Um, I believe that it, it may very well be that it really is part of our world here, but on another plane. In other words, it's been here with us as long as we've been here, maybe long before. And it's just that on our level of experiencing, we can't always connect with it. Like when we look out with our physical eyes outside, we just don't see it. I mean, we look outside with our eyes, we can't see the infrared or the ultraviolet, doesn't mean it's not there, right? So with our limited physical nature, we're not really seeing it. But when we get into some of these other levels, whether it's the blindfold seeing that I'm doing, or you know, all these modalities that you guys are talking about and Desta, you were involved in that you have researched and put together, you start being able to connect with this. So yeah, it's lights in the sky that got us involved, but you know, 75, 85, maybe 90% of the phenomenon is really all on these other levels. And you know, it's can we even ever fully understand it? You know, it's kind of like the animals in the zoo trying to understand. The people running the zoo, you know, the people running the zoo can understand the animals and what's going on. But as far as the animals concerned, it's got this environment that it feels it's, it's his environment. It doesn't know that it's being watched and it's being controlled by the zookeeper. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the same way in this. So I don't have any answers. All I really want to do is experience. And all I can really talk about and know for sure is what we've experienced. And that's what Marcus and I are doing. We're truly getting out there and trying to experience all this stuff that people talk about in all these interviews. And we've experienced a lot, but we don't want to just hear the interviews. We want to get out there and experience ourselves. And if we, if we can document it, great. If we can't, but we're still allowed to have the experience and that's great, that's even better. For us, the most important thing is to experience it. And then we know what we can believe from what we've truly experienced. And will I have any more answers as they get more experience? I don't know. It seems there's more questions that get raised oh, wow. with every single thing you get experienced, Grant. 
you you mentioned the thing about the checks and you've mentioned today the algonquin thing and the synchronicities and stuff like that so the question for both of you are are you being led i mean how did you guys get together i mean are you there to be doing a job and you follow the the breadcrumbs as as they fall to you and and watch clues and hints and uh, are you on a mission i guess would well, be the question. that's a really good question you know in our little pea brains <laughs> we, we you know think that we're organizing all this stuff well, but when everything happens and the dust settles it really gives us the impression that we have been led we, we might think that we're the ones organizing all this and all these coincidences and serendipitous things are just happening but when we stand back and see where we're being almost guided through, uh, we get the impression that we are being led. Mark, do you wanna? I remember, we didn't, we didn't, each year kind of opens up more, but even when we went to Peru the first time, end of 2016, we spent a lot of time um, with a gentleman from Mission Rum, Amadeo. And Amadeo said to us at the first hour of the first day, look for the signs. Mm -hmm. We didn't really know what to think of that. You know what I mean? We were really young in it and we didn't know. We couldn't really explore consciousness much. We met Sixco Paswells on that trip. We didn't really, we didn't invest as much into it as we do now. Now we're always on the lookout for the signs. You said something earlier, Grant, that I really liked about the puzzle. You know, what's the puzzle? And you know, you think you know what the puzzle is and the puzzle is and that's kind of feels like we're at that stage now with all of this where we've transcended past the equipment and you know the, the you know it's a novelty now it's of course it's attractive it's big it's it's you know it, it brings tons of people over to talk and get dialogue going but this is about you know i personally i think rob would agree it's, it really is about consciousness it really is about opening your mind opening your heart you know, the biggest experiences that we've had over the last six years didn't involve equipment. You know, we've been in the beaches of Playa Yaya, we've been in the rainforests of Australia with no equipment and have had those orbs show up. I've had things come while the cameras turned the other way in British Columbia, like a year ago, we had an orb appear 30 feet away from us, like a boss, like a, like a, like a magnesium white orb camera's pointed the other way that tells me something i think it tells rob something we there is no plan you know there is no trajectory other than we're following our instincts we'll continue to follow our instincts just let it take over you know and so when we ask her do we have a mission absolutely we have a mission mission has never been any different than if they have a message for us they'll give us that message and they'll choose the time, they'll choose the date, they'll make that happen. And we're gonna stay on that path of, you know, and if that message is something we receive that we're supposed to give, great. If we're supposed to record it, great. If we're not allowed to record anything and all the batteries die or there's no cameras to be seen, great. Oh, and Grant, whatever message they have for us and want us to share, we will share it with our group and even the experiences we have if we're not allowed to document it you know unless they wipe our memory we're going to put it into the documentary at least on a person-to-person -person basis you know discussing it on camera we we won't hold anything back 
Like I learned in the game early that whatever you experience, talk about, do not hide anything. We don't want men in black coming to our door, threatening us not to say stuff. If we've already said it and we already get it out there, it takes the wind out of their sails. Sorry, but it's already out there, right? So, yeah. yeah, we're doing the we're doing the book thing, and you're doing the documentary thing. It's it's different different medium, and you're reaching people, and you probably feel honored that you got to play the game rather than, you know, being in a top executive position where you're working 18 hours a day and and stressed out and stuff like that. Where it's a it's to me it's one of the most fascinating stories. One more question, and then I I'm done. Um, we, you asked me about the UAP task force. I mean, have you followed this? Have you uh, uh, reached out to do interviews with uh, Elizondo or any of the big players? And are you going to try to get involved in this to see if there's any answers going down that road? Yes. Now, as you know, we didn't do interviews like that in the past. This has really come about in the last year because of the pandemic. Um, but we've gotten into a really neat thing now of doing interviews. So we will we will be continuing to do interviews but we will be out into the field more as the pandemic winds down. We have, uh, for example, I've reached out to Lou. He has agreed to do an interview with us. It's just scheduling it because, you know, everybody wants Lou on their channel. And I swear that he's talking with somebody every waking hour of the day. So I'm sure that we will reach a date and a time where we will get to talk to Lou about all this stuff. And, uh, you know, we will be talking to others. Our real passion is getting out there with some of these high-level people into the field. I mean, even uh, Jacques Vallée has uh, agreed to our invitation to come out with us in the field. He would be honored and would love to come out with us. And we'd be honored to come out with him in the field. So um, some of these higher-level people, you know, just like yourselves, we want to be out in the field with them. So... Not only do we want to interview them, you know, over Zoom or whatever, we'd like to get with them physically and just go out, rub shoulders with them and be observing, be talking about our experiences, have things happen in real time and to be able to talk about that in the documentary. Wow. Sounds exciting. Well, and you guys, we love it. We love it. I I wouldn't rather do anything else. This is what I want to do. And we are doing it. That's what I. That's what I keep saying. It's like the Super Bowl. You got to. We got to play in the Super Bowl. Like what? What more could you ask for? Absolutely. I just have one last question, uh, Rob, for you, and about your camera equipment. You know, maybe um, people are always so fascinated by that, and I don't know anything about it. So, do you want to maybe say? I know there's been um, an evolution in what you started having, and then what you've come to, or you know, smaller packs for putting on the flights and stuff like that. Like, what do you use now, or what do you suggest to people is the bare minimum or the cheapest, or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, as I look at this one right here, let's see, that there is the thermal. Okay, so that picks up heat images. That's where the saucer with the dome appeared uh, in Australia with Damien Knott on that one, it gives a black and white. And that also caught something, what, over the uh, Irish Sea, Mark, that one? Uh, there's another one over here, over here on somewhere, is the night vision. It's um, zoom night vision like 10 times. So that's the one that caught the Squamish orb. And then uh, the, the cameras I've got now is actually more elaborate than this one. This was from 2017, Mark. Uh, but there's full spectrum zoom and full spectrum wide angle. 
There's also night vision wide angle. Uh, there's also visible zoom and wide angle. There's also time lapse. And I'm adding on for our uh, Algonquin trip, two more cameras. Uh, they're just gonna be iPhones because you know that crazy Cusco craft we got, you know, the bluish purple one? That was simply taken with my iPhone, just taking snaps in the night, just at random. We didn't see anything, but it either appeared so fast or because it was ultraviolet, our eyes didn't see it. So I'm gonna have a two, two iPhones, you know, since I caught it with an iPhone, I'm gonna put an iPhone on the rack and I'm gonna have it shoot, um, shoot a picture every second for the whole night and it'll stay open for a quarter of a second, just like that did when I happened to get the Cusco craft. It was just a one, you know, when you snap a picture at night with an iPhone, it'll hold the shutter open for a quarter second. So since it was successful, I'm gonna let it keep doing that all night long, every second. And then when you stop, it renders it into a video. So we just scroll through the video for the five or the eight hours, whatever it is. So that one will be on the WMD rack, like this rack right here. And then, you know, as you know, uh, we had the other still cameras uh, and that is infrared and visible that are just doing time-lapse photography. I will also put a second iPhone there and that just sits in one spot, wide angle, getting, you know, a large part of the sky. I'll also put an iPhone there doing one quarter second shots every second for the whole night. So that's kind of, everything in a nutshell in the cameras, but I will emphasize too that we generally go 50% of the time. So half of the nights on an expedition, we leave the cameras at home because that's when I get really excited. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but so much of the time when I actually let go of all this high-tech stuff and I love the high-tech stuff, but I've learned to just walk away from it. Like, you know, as a police officer says, step away from the vehicle, sir. So. I just leave everything and that's when the crazy stuff happens. So as much as I love all this high-tech stuff and I can't keep my brain away from it, you know, thinking about what I can add next, like now I'm going to add those two iPhones and I'm all excited about that. But the truth is, it's probably the nights where we leave the stuff at home that the real stuff will happen. So literally we're covered both ways. You know, we got the high-tech equipment, if that's what it's going to take. We also just have ourselves and our intuition and connecting on these deeper levels, if that's what it takes. So we believe that with those two things, we're covered. I don't know what else to do to make contact, Destin. One of the things that is occurring to me now that everybody's probably saying, yeah, but have you seen an alien? So either have you seen an alien, had an alien around you or... Tell, tell that story, because I'm sure everybody's wondering. Well, you got photos, but you, did you actually see an alien? Yeah, well, I think we've mentioned the story before about the guy in Australia. Did he tell you that story? Yeah, so we were, we were at the, um, not far from Uluru, like Ayers Rock in the middle of Australia. Okay. You know, it's that orange monolith rock yeah. in the middle. And Mark and Liz had been out filming during the day getting B-roll. They were tired that night and said, well, we're just going to pack it in early. So Lauren, Kurth, and myself, since we'd slept in that morning while Mark and Liz were out getting B-roll, yeah. we're raring to go and to stay up all night. 
So I got all the, you know, all this equipment together and more. And we drove, oh, about 30 minutes away from the resort. I mean, it's the only resort there is for 800 miles, probably. It's in the middle. And we were, we, you know, go down this road and it's straight for probably 100 miles or more. And it's the desert. It's the outback. So it's all flat and you can drive off the road anywhere and go for miles. Like, I mean, it's all hard pack, gravelly type material but you will see bushes and little trees here and there so we drove off the road looking for a hiding spot since we're in the middle of nowhere we didn't want to be anywhere that could raise attention if there was somebody out there that's you know wants to do something wants to take do harm to us because we're kind of like sitting ducks so we went off the road in this one spot where we saw a few trees and bushes where we felt we could go behind them and just hide. And it was about 300 feet off the road. And Lauren and I figured, okay, in this spot with the car and with the equipment, you cannot see us from the highway. We feel safe. So we had the stuff all set up and, you know, we were just getting a lot of mundane objects and things that, you know, we've seen a lot of times before that a lot of it can be explained, you know, it's these rotating satellite, uh, these rockets, rotating rocket bodies that come on and go off. And, you know, sometimes little flashes where it's turning and he just catches the sun real quickly, things like that. Got a lot of that stuff. But about one o'clock in the morning, as I was kind of, you know, went out from our spot, I could see a car on the highway and the guy was slowing down. And I thought, or whoever it was, and I thought, oh my God, I hope he's not going to come into where we are. Okay. And lo and behold, this car comes all the way in, all the way down this little spot we had found right to where we were within 20 or 30 feet of us. Now, Lauren's getting nervous. I'm a little bit nervous. And the first thing she thought was put the expensive equipment away. So I quickly dismantled a little bit and put some of the more expensive cameras in the trunk and locked it. And this guy was in his car. He had the dome light on, then it would go out, then it would go on. And I'm super curious. Like I wasn't afraid. It was just curiosity. I thought this person, we're in the middle of Australia, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from anything. And this car, I think it was only one of, three cars we'd seen on the highway all night and and the car comes right to where we were we just i just thought it was strange i thought i can't believe this is a coincidence this is too coincidental for me to be a coincidence and um lauren was questioning about me wanting to go talk to him and i said well she says well what happens if he wants to do harm he has a a, a knife or something and i said well i've got my high-powered laser he's going to get it in the eyes if he you know, comes at me and she says, well, what if he's got a gun? And I says, well, I'll invite him to take all our equipment, you know, if he's got a gun. So I said, I'm going to go over and talk to him. She said, don't you dare. I said, I'm going. And she says, okay, I'll go with you then. And he got out of the car. And at that point on, nothing made sense. Like this guy was just like your classic uh, being that they say live among us, you know, um, looking Nordic, handsome, tall. And this guy said that he'd driven something like 18 hours that he's just going home for the weekend. 
And I thought, well, I don't know anybody that drives 18 hours to go home for the weekend, right? And then he had another 12 or 18 hours to go. And I thought, that's not true. That can't be true, you know? And I looked at him and I heard the way he was talking, Grant. It was, even now I'm animated because I'm reliving the story and my inflections are going up and down and you can feel some depth to my story. He wasn't like that when he talked. It was, it wasn't robotic, but it was very, very muted with, with any kind of emotion or inflection. And any kind of emotion or inflection there was seemed to be fake. It seemed to be artificial or acted. It didn't seem real. I couldn't feel it. Okay. Like we automatically emote with people we're engaged with in a conversation. It's a natural thing that human beings do. I didn't feel that with him. And um, all the things he was talking about, he, he said he worked in the mines, yet the, the clothes he was wearing looked like they just either came out of the top dresser drawer, clean and pressed, or he had just bought them. They didn't seem, I, I didn't see any dirt on them. For somebody that had driven 18 hours, where's the five o'clock shadow or the 10 o'clock shadow or the, you know, 1 a.m. shadow, whatever. There was no shadow. It's like this guy just shaved or maybe he doesn't even have a beard. I don't know. But there was nothing about it that seemed logical or that made sense. Nothing. And so we engaged with him and I says, but why did you pick this spot to pull over? And he says, well, I want, I'm going to go sky watching. And I had sky watching by yourself. Like at that point, I said to myself, is this guy reading my mind or what? Right. And then I started, I got a little flash in my head that says, Rob, do you think this guy might be an ET? And I'm starting to think, oh my God. This is the reason why none of this makes sense. This guy might be an ET, right? And just as I said that, um, you know, Lauren was, Lauren was also talking. And uh, the guy said, well, if you'd rather I go somewhere else to Skywatch. And before I could even open my mouth, Lauren said, well, that would be very kind of you. And I thought, my God, Lauren hasn't clued yet that this guy might be an ET. And so he said goodbye and he got in his car and drove off. And I said, Lauren, I says, I think this guy is an ET. And I, she says, why do you say that? I said, just think about everything that happened here. None of it makes sense. And she says, oh my God, you might be right. She says, yeah. And so um, we, we stayed out there. So we think we sent away an ET grant. You know, we'll never <laughs> live that down. We'll never live it down. So anyway, we stayed out till about five in the morning when the sun started coming up and we put the equipment away and we headed back into where the resort was and it's half an hour away. And we were, I was driving and I was waiting for the vehicle to go by so that I could turn down to the resort. And as the vehicle went by, and I wasn't looking at the vehicle itself, I was noticing a vehicle and then I thought, okay, now I'll turn. And I just started to turn and Lauren says, Rob, 
did you see who was driving that vehicle? I said, no. She said, that was our guy from last night. Wow. Now, <laughs> this was the first car we met since we saw him at 1 a.m. earlier on. Like This was something like six o'clock in the morning. So five hours later, and it's the only other car we saw, and now he's going the other way, almost back to where we were. So the second she said that that was our guy, instead of turning down the road, I just kept the wheel turned and just turned all the way around. But Grant, the bizarre thing was, and that only took maybe what? Not even a second and a half, two seconds? No vehicle. There was no vehicle. And I'm saying, Lord, where did the guy go? Like, and But there's nowhere else to go. There was only the road down to the resort and the road all the way through the outback to where we were. So I just put my foot to the floor. And I mean, there's nobody around and, you know, nobody to give you a ticket, I guess. I won't say how fast I was going, but we did get back to the site in 15 minutes instead of 30. So, and the whole way along... The way, all the way to where we got back, like where we were the night before, never saw another vehicle. We never saw him. We went back and we walked around and we looked behind little bushes everywhere. Nothing. Wow. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Now, a year ago, I was um, talking to this fella from um, Serbia. And it was about the blind, uh, blindfold stuff. Okay. Okay. Now, he had no idea that I was involved in documentaries and traveling the world. He contacted me because he saw the blindfold stuff, the channel on blindfold seeing. Okay. So no idea about my background or nothing. All, and we were talking about that. It was over Skype and we were talking back and forth. All of a sudden he stopped and he said, Rob, I'm getting a psychic flash. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he says, I'm a little bit psychic and I'm getting a very strong flash. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm seeing a, like a vision. He says, you and another woman were in Australia and I see a third person, a man, and he's an ET. <laughs> and uh, I didn't, I didn't really, you know, we were, we were there to talk about blindfold seeing and I didn't want to go on, but I'll say, yeah, that's correct. He says, so you don't need to, he says, you don't need to make contact anymore. You already have. Wow. And I and I thought to myself, speak for yourself, you know, <laughs> I want to make contact again. So, you know, that was the third thing, Grant. So there was the actual event itself and all the bizarre things that happened. You know, and unfortunately, we sent him away. We think that, you know, Lauren was nervous because she's got this guest, me from Canada and all this equipment. She was nervous for me. And so she was putting out, we think she was putting out vibes that the guy wasn't kind of welcome. And we think he picked up on that. And then he was a polite ET and he just left. Okay. But there was three things. There was the event itself. There was the fact that he drove, he, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, we passed him like his car passed as we were turning down the road to the resort. So that was the second thing. But then there was no car. It disappeared, which can be a whole nother thing. But, and then the third thing, speaking with this fella who became our friend from uh, Serbia, who out of nowhere said that this guy was an ET. I mean, he didn't know anything about anything as far as what I'm involved in. Now, 
you know, can you believe that? Well, the skeptics would say, well, maybe he researched you and maybe he saw one of your videos and he wants to impress you or something. You know, I guess that's always possible. It's not probable, but it's always possible. But even if you discount that, we still have our powerful experience and we still have the fact that, you know, this car that I was waiting for him to pass, it disappeared within seconds. Now, these roads in the desert, Grant, you can see the end of the road when you look, that's probably 15 or 20 miles away. Like the road is so flat that you can see forever. You know, and there's no turnoffs. Like, where did it go? Wow. So that, that I hope that answers your question. And and so after the fact, we we think he was an ET. I would I would rate it at like, you know, ninety nine percent. Can I can I say for sure? No. Do I think? Yes. Do I feel? Yes. Do I know? Well, ninety nine percent. Wow, fascinating. Fascinating story. Wow. I, I never heard you tell that story before. That's good. I, yeah, I, I thought we told you that story before, but I guess yeah, not. Desta knows it. Desta listens. You heard it, Desta, before? <laughs> I, I heard it. I, maybe Grant wasn't there, but when you guys were here, I did hear it, yeah. Yeah. Men yeah. don't listen. <laughs> so, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people have said we should go back to Australia, that we should go back to that spot and potentially on an anniversary date. Like, you know, exactly three years later or four years later and just see. You know, or just send out a signal. And if you run into him a fourth time, well, then, you know, for sure that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I will say, I will say, you know, when we were leaving Australia, not Australia, but when we were leaving that area, there was a very small airport and um, the, uh, the car rental office was right in the airport you know, it's kind of all one big room where they did everything right. It's just a, a very little small village town sort of thing. And the the Australian lady was very friendly when I returned the car. And she said, well, did you folks have a good time? And we were just carrying on a conversation. And she says, well, what were you here for? Holiday? And I said, do you really want to know? <laughs> I told her. And she says, oh, well, just a minute. I got to get my manager. She had an experience. Wow. So her manager was on some retreat with Mark. Remember that story with something like 10 other ladies. They were camping at the base of Uluru. Okay. Okay. And the park closes at nine. So the gates down the road, you know, far away there, the gates, they close them at nine o'clock at night. So you got to be back in the park and in the campground before nine, or you're going to get locked out can't come back in. So she said they were just, you know, enjoying the evening. Maybe they had a campfire or something and they saw lights on that road. And they said to each other, like, whoever it is, they're out of luck. They're going to get, they're already locked out. And so they saw these lights getting closer and they thought, well, when they get to the gate, they're going to be disappointed. They can't come in. And they're watching these two lights, Grant, and as they're watching these lights, they go up. Wow. <laughs> and they're watching them, and they go right over to Uluru through the, mo the monolith, yeah. right into the mountain as if it's not even there. Wow. And then go up 
And then more joined them and they were doing this whole dance, like almost like a choreographed dance in the sky. Wow. And then they would go back into the rock and come out the front and doing all this stuff. And all the women saw this. She said, Rob, it wasn't just me. It was our whole group saw this whole performance, this whole show. Wow. So she was quite interested in, you know, sharing her stories. And uh, so it turns out that this area is a very, very uh, popular site for seeing things. And, uh, and I guess, you know, even potentially for ET beings. Wow. Fascinating. Wow. <laughs> so, but we want more. This is the problem. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, you, it's just the next adventure and the next adventure. Where, where are you going? Are you, are you in the, uh, the, the park? And have you got any big expeditions around the world that you've got you want to? Well, I don't know. There was talk of an exposition up to the Northwest Territories. Not sure if that's on. Um, you've talked about Hawaii. We've talked about Chris yeah. Bledsoe. Um, you know, you guys, uh, we'd love to join you guys on some of these things. Um, Mark, we've talked about, um, there's those lights in Scotland, the Aberfoyle lights. This one fella keeps sending us video and he's filming that stuff. Uh, we probably want to get back to Hessel at some point and see Erling Strand. Um, gosh, what are some of the other places on our list, Mark? Set up before COVID, we had Argentina set up. We had Ecuador, Bolivia, more Mission Rama, getting together with people with, again, connection to consciousness and going to different areas. Yeah, South America. South, South America. America. And in fact, uh, Jacques Vallée wants to go to Peru. We want to go to Peru again. So that may very well be the one where he joins us. Mm -hmm. um, gosh. Um, you know, there's, there's places over near Indonesia, uh, there's different places in Europe, people have invited us. So I guess we're trying to prioritize all these places and we, you know, when the pandemic wasn't on, we'd be somewhere every six weeks, Grant. Wow. And, um, uh, so, you know, we kind of want to get back to that again. And we want to we want to do those two things. We will want to get with the people where we've actually organized an expedition, and then we want to do the thing where we just, when there's something happening, ongoing in the here and the now, live, we want to get there that night or the next day. So really, it's those two kinds of events we're doing, and those are totally in the fly. They're just organized over a few hours, and we go versus the other ones where we set up months in advance and we have, you know, our interviewees, our, our um, experiencer people all involved. We always still keep at least 50% of it open though. Uh, we've learned our lesson that you can only organize about 50% and then you leave, let the universe or the ETs or yeah. whoever to guide you in the other 50%. We find that's where the stuff really happens. Uh, because you've kind of allowed the time and space for it so and what's what's the name of the documentary for people who would want to track try to track this down on it's um making contact be inspired i'll put a link in the description of course yeah and it's it's on the sci-fi channel mark sorry can't hear you sci-fi central sci-fi central yeah 
And will it be on other channels as time goes on? Uh, definitely, and I can send links to Desta about that as, they, as it becomes more available. I think they were putting it on Tubi and some other spots. So Grant, as you know, once you sign up with a distributor, it's kind of up to the distributor to work all the deals around the world. Yeah. And then we're kind of the last person to find out ourselves. <laughs> do do yeah. they ever try to tell you what they want done? Where they are trying to talk you into yep. spicing it up or whatever? Yeah, we had that from the uh, Home and Garden channel, Mark. Travel. Sorry? Travel channel. We had that from the Travel channel. They were ready to make a deal with us. They sent us a proposal but when we got into talks with them, they really wanted it fear-based, yeah. lots of drama. And Mark and I had a heart-to-heart -heart talk and we said, no, that's not authentically what we're experiencing. So we're not going to do it. And we walked away from a lucrative deal. Yeah. And um, we, we felt, honestly, if we step away from being an authentic grant, probably the experiences we get are going to be turned off. Good for you. That's what we feel. And uh, yeah, you know, we make all these deals and it goes all over these places, but that'd probably be the end of it. You know, we'll, we'll put together expeditions and then nothing's going to happen. So we won't do that. We, we want to, we want to feel that the message we're getting across is what, you know, whoever they is would want us to get out there. Nothing less and nothing more. Beautiful. Okay. Guess we'll leave it at that. And the next time uh, Dessa gets a book ready, we'll have another <laughs> chat with you and we'll go from there or we'll talk to you on uh, one of your adventures as you tour around the world. It was, it was fascinating to be with you. We appreciate your involving us, especially to get to go when, when that guy said there's only been a hundred people on the site of the Falcon Lake thing. And I thought, wow. That's yeah, something. Yeah. I've still got my little rocks, which I'm I'm going to try to sell for big money. Yeah, I've got mine too. I got mine too. I have to say, we had a great time with you guys. Yeah, and uh, we wouldn't hesitate for a second to have you guys out on another expedition when it works out for all of us. For sure. I'd love to. Okay. Nice Thanks to a lot, you guys. Rob and Mark. Guys, see you okay. guys. All right. Take care. Talk soon. Talk to you later. Bye. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>